Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about a topic that's near and dear to our hearts here at Shields, and that's hunting clothing. We pride ourselves on having a great variety of clothing at a variety of different price points and also having an exclusive line, which is our Shields Outfitters products. With us today is Brandon Stone, who's played an integral part in the research and development of these products. Thank you for joining us today, Brandon. Uh, You're welcome. Happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how you got started with Shields and the role you play? Well, I started with Shields back in uh, 1998 as a kid fresh out of the uh, University of Iowa and needed a job. And uh, yeah, haven't looked back since. So started on the floor in Iowa City, worked as a uh, shop manager and then an assistant store leader, and uh, then uh, transitioned to the corporate office as the hunting clothing line leader in uh, 2006. Okay. Yeah, it seems to be that's kind of the path a lot of people take here at Shields. You know, you just really have a passion for hunting and fishing and then uh, start out working sales at the floor and then kind of move your way up. So uh, how did you how did you develop a passion for the outdoors and hunting? Boy, I don't know. I was when I was in high school, I had a lot of friends that hunted a lot and I was fortunate to have uh, close family members that were into hunting and, um, you know, living in the country really helps. You know, I grew up out on a farm uh, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So it was just something we did, you know, like when, especially when I was in high school, we hunted every day. So it was, uh, it was great. And uh, that kind of got me started in it and never really looked back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know exactly where you're coming from. Cause uh, I, I grew up in a town of 870 people graduating class of 32. There was literally nothing else to do besides, you know, the outdoors. So picked up a bow and, and just kind of got started from there. So that's cool. So how did the Shields Outfitters Big Game Collection come to be? Well, it was kind of like a, just came from a need of a core, a couple of items that uh, when First Light exited the retail space and went direct to consumer, we'd, we'd built a really big following in our stores uh, with our associates and our customers for wool base layer. And uh, when we stopped doing business with First Light, we needed to fill that void and there wasn't a branded uh, product available in those similar weights or like with the extensive variety of things that we'd been selling so well in the past. So we just decided we'd have to go out and uh, make it ourselves. Well, once we got that figured out, it was like, wow, we can't just sell a couple of base layer items here. We should probably add a couple things to it so we can merchandise it on the floor as like a collection. And uh, one thing led to another, and that's where we're at today. So we just keep growing it a little bit by bit, season after season. And, you know, from that, you know, small need has developed into this, you know, program that's uh, super popular with our stores and our customers and our uh, experts alike. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You said it started out with a wool collection. How many pieces were there in that initial start? Well, we really just need, we need the wool base layer. So a couple weights of tops and a couple weights of bottoms, and then, once we decided that we needed those pieces, it was like, well, if we're going to have that, then we should have some other stuff to go along with it. And at the same time, we started our relationship with Vale, 
uh, camouflage. And it was like, well, we need some like more outerwear and mid-layer pieces. So we wanted to have enough of that together to have a unique pattern of our own. So when we put it out on the floor, it all merchandised together. So it is just kind of like one thing kind of led to another. And when we started out, we thought we were going to have like six or eight pieces and it turned out to be like a dozen. So. Nice. So we have a, basically a full layering system out there now, don't we? Yeah, now we go skin to shell. You know, as of this year, we did we launched a, a couple of new rainwear pieces in the verdant pattern. So now we can outfit uh, customers from, uh, you know, next to skin all the way through outerwear, including rainwear and insulated items that, you know, we've had from the past couple of seasons. So, yeah, pretty much um, everything that you would need in there. Very cool. Can you dive in a little bit into how you guys developed the pattern with Veil? Yeah, it was kind of an interesting process. You know, they have like obviously a lot of technology and um, <clears throat> capabilities to make it how we want. Well, one thing that we wanted, we knew for sure, is we wanted to be unique in the market. And, you know, being in the upper Midwest, you know, there's certain seasonalities to camouflage. Really, we wanted to make sure that it was something that, number one, customers would recognize it as, you know, unique to Shields. And number two, that it would be applicable across all kinds of different uh, markets in the upper Midwest. So, you know, born on the uniqueness and the, um, you know, just the ability to have something that was, um, you know, versatile enough that you could use it just about anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, personally, I love the versatility of the, of the Shields Outfitters line. The, uh, the original West River, it's, it's kind of got a lighter pattern to it and it seems like it really blends in really well. And then we've got our, our Verdant, which is the, which is the green pattern that we, that we just came out with that's super good in like the turkey woods or you know early season bow hunting and stuff but just uh you know the macro patterns looks really good and blends in well yeah the wild thing with that was we we never really intended to have two camo patterns you know it was one of those things where we launched west river and then the feedback that we got from associates and consumers were like wow we want something that Similar for the spring, you know, to your point for spring turkey and then stores in the West are like, hey, we want something that's, you know, more applicable in the, uh, you know, in in the Western markets and the greener uh, treed areas, you know, so it was like, okay, well, we can start that and then one thing led to another and bam, all of a sudden we have another camo pattern and again, it wasn't really our intention, but the success of the one allowed us to build you know, not only new items, but also add the additional uh, pattern to the mix, you know, a Mm -hmm. year later. Yeah, I mean the two patterns really packs a nice one-two punch for uh, for versatility there. You know, can you dive in a little bit into the research and development process? I mean, I, I'm assuming that we can, since it's our signature line of clothing, we can control every aspect of the of the product, can't we? Oh yeah, from the you know beginning stages of materialization, you know, like what fabrics and zippers and buttons, you know, like pretty much all of that is uh, available for us to pick and um, on our own. So, you know, a lot of it comes from what works at retail for us, you know, in our own line and in other brands, what's it really starts like what styles do we need? You know, we determine like how many jackets do we need? Okay. So if we need jackets, some with hoods, some without hoods, some midweight ones, some heavyweight ones. So, you know, part of it is just like, where are the needs at in the marketplace? And where do we think our customers are going to respond positively to like either additional item or a new item, you know, and then from there, we go into the design part of it. And it's, 
it's um, pretty much just starting with initial prototypes and it evolves from there. When we get to the point where we have enough of an idea of where we think it's going to line up with the rest of the line and if we're addressing most of the needs that we think we are, we'll actually build a complete size run, you know, typically like medium through two or three X. So we can get it on enough people, you know, experts around shields that uh, we can use and we get them on on them and in the field, even if it's like early season where maybe it's a hunting item and they're even wearing it fishing or they're taking an insulated item, ice fishing, you know, so like all of that, you know, product development comes in with people, you know, more hands touching it so we can get their feedback, you know, like, Jason Mitchell is a, you know, associate of ours. So like we use his feedback on new items. Lots of times we'll send it to him because he spends a lot of time in the field. So we get feedback from, you know, experts from all over shields, uh, both inside and outside the company to, you know, give us feedback on, you know, how the development process is going. And then as that, you know, happens, we're continually making changes with the designers and re-prototyping those items so we can get them back out in the field again. Mm-hmm. So from, from the original big game collection, when we started diving into the outerwear, what sort of changes were made from that start to where we are now? Well, a lot of it, like the base items haven't changed that much, but it's like the, there's small things that we change with like directional uh, usage of the zippers, the zipper flaps on some items, you know, like we've had cases where like on the Antler River, we reversed the flap on the zipper for the pocket because we had it backwards the first time. It made it harder to get it in there, your hands in there, especially like in bow hunting situations. You want to make sure that you can get a gloved hand in your pocket. And some mm-hmm. of the zippers were a little bit tighter than what we would have liked them after we, you know, we get a lot of uh, field use in it. So once you get the base of the design done, it usually comes down to tweaking small details like that with cuffs and zippers and buttons and all of those little things to make sure that. You know, there's not something in there that's going to be, you know, like detrimental to the usage of that item in the field. So we try to, you know, always, you know, like discipline ourselves to make sure we have enough people looking at it that we don't have those things. But things happen, you know, like and it's like, oh, man, really wish we would have fixed that the first time, you know. So then the second go around, we have it uh, updated and, you know. Most customers or associates would never know most of the time when we make those little tweaks because it's just from one production run to the next. So it's not like we're changing the entire style, but we're just continually evolving small little details. Yeah, that's the beauty of being able to, you know, get it into the hands of uh, of people that are actually hunting with it and, and being able to get that feedback quickly. Yeah, and really that's, you know, like how some of our best testers, they kind of evolve, like the ones that we get the most you know, like honest feedback from are the ones that we keep going back to because even lots of times, you know, like you don't want to hear that feedback, but we have to have it, mm-hmm. you know? So like if we don't get any feedback, then it's like, well, well, you know, maybe we'll try somebody else the next time, you know? And even, you know, it comes down to even fit, you know, like we do a lot of fitting here in the office. So we're like always running around trying to find the same fit models. So we make sure that we're trying to address the size runs to fit like most customers. Cause now that big game collection and key items it runs extra small to 4X, including some talls. So that's part of the feedback that we've got. It's like, well, we need more sizes for this or that. So we're always continually trying to update that. So we make sure that we're, you know, able to outfit the most customers that we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with the big game collection, we have, it's, you know, it's a gr- great piece, but generally it's at a really good price too. Like, how, can you explain the process 
to uh, to being able to price these at a really good point? Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that we really work hard at because the, you know, that's part of the success of the, you know, developing the outfitter brand is, you know, driving performance and value. And uh, one of the ways that we're able to do that is like, we don't go really wild on promoting it, like heavily discounting it, you know, like some of our competitors do with their, you know, house brands, you know, like we, we, we have a, a set retail price for it and we don't deviate for that, you know, except for like exceptional reasons. Like right now we're running the big game ad, so we'll run it on sale for that. But we don't play like a big, like high, low game, you know, like there's items like Antler River where we could go out at 199 for that. It would command that kind of retail price point, but then we would be running it on sale all the time at like 149, 129. And we don't, we don't really feel like we need to do that because the product performance and the value is there. So we're not going to play those kind of games, with the retail, we want to have it at the best price possible, you know, all the time. Cause we want people to come back to those items again and again and again. And so we just, we just don't do that. You know? So like we've been able to source these items with the best possible components we can at those retail prices. And I think that's why, our customers like the items so much because they're getting so much value in those items compared to other, you know, um, retail brands. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So while we're running this podcast, I mean, in, in November, it's late season, late season's here. Can you walk us through a complete recommendation for a layering system if you're out in the field right now? Oh, sure. You know, and again, this is like my own personal sort of thing. Like everybody's got their own thing when it comes to uh, layering and how many layers they like to wear. But, you know, like, it, you know, for late season, you know, base layer is a key. You have to have a good next to skin layer. And personally, I like to wear something that's, you know, like some people will call it silk weight or performance rate, that really lightweight uh, synthetic, you know, I like it on the bottom more than I am on the top, but you know, like I'd like to wear like that next to skin uh, performance layer on the bottom, then a heavier weight wool over top of that. If it's going to be really, really cold and then go into like whatever hunting pant you like, and then the, uh, your outerwear, depending on the conditions. But the, the key to building the system though, is to make sure that you're not impacting the breathability. I think that's one mistake that a lot of people make and, you know, one, I do a lot of bird hunting. So it's like, it's a lot of physical activity and you're like, you're moving a lot. And the items that you're going to use for late season for that obviously are a lot different than what you would for big game. But what it does teach you is that you got to have breathability. Like if you're hiking in the stand a great distance, you don't want to be wearing a couple like windproof layers on your outer layers as you're traveling to the stand. Cause you're going to get all sweated up. And when you sit down, the first thing you're going to feel is that dampness on your body and you're going to feel chilled immediately. So you want to make sure that your 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 mid layer and the layers close to your skin are going to breathe really really well. So when you get to the point where you're going to put on your outerwear, that you're not damp. That's that's really the most critical part. So having that next to skin layer that's going to pull the moisture off your body is important. But then it's also important that your next layer is also breathable. You know, and that's where items like. Our Churchill Merino is great for that because the Merino breathes really nice and it's super warm or like the muscle shell hoodie. That's probably my favorite non-wool item in the line. It's like, if you find me on the weekend wearing a piece of camo anywhere other than in the field, it's going to be that piece because I just, I just love that piece so much because it's not super thick and it breathes really well and it just layers really, really nicely. So you can do a lot of activity and then 
put something over top of that piece to uh, to get you that way. And I think that uh, you know one of the items that everybody loves is a vest, right? I, mean, mm-hmm. I have a closet full of them, but uh, one of the mistakes I think some people make is like the boundary vest or the Antler River vest. Those have membranes in them, so they don't breathe. I mean, they're designed to cut the wind. So you do all this layering, and then you put a you know a a layer vest that doesn't breathe super well, and then a jacket over top of that, and then hike into the stand. Well, you're not, your core is not going to be able to breathe when you're wearing, you know, both those pieces of outerwear over top of each other. And that's, I think that's the one thing that people need to avoid the most is like stacking, you know, windproof layers on top of themselves as you're going to be moving into the the stand for late season hunting mm-hmm. you're better so, off being a little cold as you're going in yeah so in that situation do you recommend doing your base layer and then your vest and then just packing in your jacket yeah that's exactly what i think like especially when you get to items like the antler river uh jacket or the highwood jacket i would wear that vest over top of your, your over or your base layers or your mid layer and then use that to keep your core warm as you're going into the field mm-hmm. and then once you get in the stand if it's super cold, you just throw the jacket on over top of it, or maybe you peel the vest off and then put the jacket on. Yep, I mean that makes perfect sense because you got your vest that isn't breathable that's gonna that's gonna keep your core temperature warm, but then you've got like your arms and your extremities that are moving and sweating. You know, there you just have your base layer, so then you can kind of dump some of that some of that moisture and uh, and temperature. Yeah, and I think that's the one of the things from like bird hunting that I think is like super applicable to big game hunting is like there's a lot of times in North Dakota where you're bird hunting and it's like in the 20s, but you're wearing a really breathable mid layer and then a windproof vest over top of that and then like your whatever game vest that you're using and that's pretty much like perfect for you know that you know high activity walking around you don't need all of those windproof layers and then but the, that's probably the mistake that most hunters make is like they get all sweated up you know wearing too much of that stuff into the into the stand and then you just you're just cold mm-hmm. so one thing you touched on a little bit was as one of your favorite pieces was wool and we are just getting a new wool collection into our stores can you touch a little bit on that and uh and why wool is one of your favorite lines uh wool is like is a great uh, material to build uh, hunting garments from because there's a couple of properties of wool that uh, work really well with people that are in the field a lot. One is like the warmth to weight ratio is really good. And also like if you get it wet, wool will still keep you warm. You know, if you're wearing a synthetic anything and it gets wet, it's uh, properties to keep you warm go away, you know, and that doesn't happen with wool. So that's pretty awesome. And then wool is also nat- naturally antimicrobial. So it's a, uh, it's really nice as we talk about scent a lot. And while it doesn't keep the odors that you create away, if you're going to wear a garment like repeatedly on a hunt where you're not washing your stuff all the time, wool has awesome properties for that because the, the, the nature of wool doesn't allow the bacteria that causes odor to grow on it. So it doesn't stink after, if you wear it over and over and over again, which, you know, all of us are guilty of when we're not have access to wash our hunting apparel all the time. So. That's why wool is so awesome for hunting. And I think that most people, it's probably underappreciated because people think like the old school days, like, oh man, it's so itchy and I don't want it next to my skin, but it's really not, you know, like high quality Merino is great to wear next to your skin. And, and now because we've done, had so much success with that, we're launching wool outerwear, which is, it's um, the fleece that we're using is a wool blend. 
And the reason we do the, the blendedness is one that it, uh, it allows us to create more loft in it. So it's, uh, it's going to be super warm. It's uh, windproof. And um, our camo pattern just prints awesome on it, too, which is pretty nice because it's going to look really cool. That's great. Um, what sort of pieces are going to be offered in the wool? We have a, a jacket, a hooded jacket, and then a bib, a pant, and uh, which those silhouettes we've had before in the line, we just we updated them a little bit. But uh, our customers will be pretty familiar with those when they see them. And then uh, new for this year, we've added a, a hooded pullover, you know, designed specifically for tree stand hunting and archers that don't want a lot of uh, zippers in the way. It's got a great kangaroo pocket on it so you, um, to keep your hands warm. And it's almost got like a it's sort of like a built in hand warmer. It's got an internal cuff on it. So if you wanted to go gloveless, it helps hold some uh, heat in there for the for the bow hunter. And I think that uh, it's going to be received really, really well. We've had a few samples around here for a while now, and everybody's anxious for them to arrive in stores. Yeah, great. I mean, I'm anxious, too. It's, uh, I really haven't had a lot of wool in my collection, so uh, I'm definitely going to have to give that a try. Is there anything in the works that you can spill the beans on a little bit, or is that going to be a pretty kept secret? There, Yeah, not, we're not talking about anything yet. Yes, we have a lot of things in the works, but, uh, yeah, we're not, uh, we're not talking about them yet. we got to keep people on their toes, be anxious for the, the new things to come. But uh, there are, you know, every year we like to have at least one or two new things that we're uh, working on, and, we got some pretty exciting stuff coming for uh, next year that uh, some of them may not be related to big game, but it's uh, we got a lot of time and uh, effort in these, so we're like we're keeping them pretty close to the uh, the old vest right now because uh, we don't want uh, we don't want uh, people to be sneaking up on our uh, cool new ideas. So Ooh, interesting. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, there's there's a few different types of hunting out there that are not big game. So keep yeah. your eyes out for that. We're uh, pretty excited about this this uh, launch. So like a year from now, we'll be having another podcast talking about the uh, new stuff. So oh, there we go. Perfect. <laughs> so I mean, I could tell that you that you spend a lot of time in the field hunting, doing research, bringing this back. Um, do you have a favorite hunting memory? Oh wow, I got a lot of them. You know, like I've I. Uh, Wow. So like in North Dakota, like I call it the old days. So like back in 06, 07, you had to draw a prairie chicken tag. You remember that? Like we used to have I, a, I do not remember. We used that. to have I'm a prairie chicken Minnesota, tag so in I North Dakota. <laughs> you know, there, there's two areas where you can hunt prairie chickens in North Dakota. You used to have to apply like getting a deer tag. And when I first moved to North Dakota, it was like, Oh man, I got to get that. So I kept applying. I, I drew that prairie chicken tag uh, one year and my son and I spent, I don't know, like three weekends in a row, like rummaging around in the sand hills looking for these dang prairie chickens. And uh, we finally did find them one day. Of course, they were all flushing from the roost as we were walking to the truck at dark. It was like the only glimpse that we caught of them. But uh, it was just a great time because like, I was new to North Dakota and this was something that was completely different for me. And uh, it was just a lot of fun. And, and man, I've had like most of the most of them either center around dogs or kids, you know. But uh, mm -hmm. I have been fortunate enough to go on uh, some big game hunts, and uh, I just really enjoy them. I really like hunting in the West. That's what, like when I was a kid, I was just like, man, if I could live in Wyoming, that's where I would be. You know, I almost went to the University of Wyoming. Just I had relatives that lived there, and I just love being in the West. So mm -hmm. that's a. Uh, I just got back from Wyoming, and like two weeks ago, we were out chasing antelope, and that's probably my favorite thing to do. It's like being out in the West and glassing for those guys. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I just started hunting out in the West probably three or four years ago. You know, grew up in, in Minnesota, like trees all over the place. And to, and to try that open hunting, it's just a completely different train of thought and mindset. And and it's a it's quite a challenge. It's super fun. So can, can you tell us a little bit how that antelope hunt went? Oh, it was a good time. Yeah, it was a super hot it was in the middle 90s, which, you know, do you think for like a, a rifle hunt, that's not usually what you would think. But uh, it was in, in the middle 90s every day we were there, which made it kind of interesting and uh, really got to uh, put the, the new uh, Verdant items to the test. The new lightweight pant was awesome. I, was, uh, I wore it three days in a row just to see like how it was going to hold up. And, you know, I, I couldn't have been more impressed with it. You know, for for seventy nine dollars, there's there's not a there's a lot of hundred and fifty dollar hunting pants that aren't that nice. So. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, there's two people here that are on the on the lightweight verdant train because I I use those same pants when I was on my mule deer hunt in uh, in the Badlands this uh, you know early September, and I love how it had you know a little bit of extra padding and protection in like the knees. But then it was a little more breathable in your high sweat areas. The uh, one of my favorite parts is just the little button, and just because it's reinforced. You know, I've had so many buttons fall off and just pockets in the right places. And I was, you know, on my hands and knees looking for looking for blood when I was trailing that muley. Like more time than I would like to on my hands and knees on that scoria rock. And, you know, it held up really well. Yeah. And I think one of the things that some of the feedback we got from associates when we first got them in stores are like, they're like, Oh, it's going to be too loud. And like when you feel it on the floor, the fabric seems like it would make a little bit of noise, but like when you put it on and wear it around, it's as quiet as any other hunting pant I got, which I think is probably the most surprising thing for me was that it really didn't make a whole bunch of noise. And the, uh, the addition of the little hook for like the gator on your on your boot to attach the pant that's that thing's a game changer and we're actually bringing that into some of our upland pants for ne- for uh, next season just because it's been so effective on that lightweight hunting pant it's just so nice you know when it's really hot like that i'm a big proponent of wearing gators but if you can avoid wearing another layer over top of a layer when it's like 95 degrees that's one area where you can cut something out and it just it makes you just so much more comfortable in the field mm-hmm. So it was a, it was a good time. We had a great time and did get an antelope. wasn't necessarily the one I was hunting for, but uh, it was. Uh, we saw a pile of them. It just, I just love that country so much. Mm-hmm. So it was. What was it later in the antelope season? Yeah, we we decided because we hadn't been in this area before, so we put in for both deer tags and antelope tags, and we drew both. So we just we hunted the end of the antelope season and the beginning of the deer season, which ended up being the absolute worst time to hunt either one of them, because <laughs> the antelope were all they were super skittish, and the the deer were not moving at all because it was so hot. So they were completely nocturnal. So it was uh, it was kind of interesting. You know, had we had to do it again, we could probably go back to this area at some point. It, it'll be a one or the other deal. We'll either hunt deer a little bit later or antelope a little bit earlier, but. Live and learn, man. That's, you know, why we do it. You know, like if you don't learn something every time you do one of these things, I suppose we wouldn't do it again. But mm-hmm. Absolutely. Was, um, were like the fires in Colorado affecting your area at all? Yeah. So we were like in Southeast Wyoming. So like there was a couple of days when the wind blew pretty hard from the South and East of where we were at. And it was pretty hazy glassing in the mornings. 
it was pretty tough. Like you could tell that uh, if it was a buck or a doe, but beyond that, if it was any distance, it was way too hazy to be able to tell uh, one way or another. But boy, you could tell when the wind shifted direction because all of a sudden it would just like clear up. Huh, you know, interesting. We had two morning, uh, two mornings that were like that where it was super smoky because we were, we we're probably only like 100 miles north of Cheyenne or so. So like all of those fires that were burning down there in, in uh, Colorado were affecting that area with a pretty heavy haze. Okay. Was it super dry where you were at too then? Oh, it was crazy. It had, when we were there, it hadn't rained since the middle of June. Wow. So that I'm sure that has some effect on the antelope for sure. But the, it was, uh, it was certainly very, very, very dry. I feel for all those uh, ranchers down there. They're really struggling right now for some moisture. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Boy, I bet if you had, uh, if you had quite a bit of access to private land with a bunch of watering tanks, you'd have probably been into some pretty good hunting at that time. Yeah. Ironically we did. We had, uh, I don't know, lots of, uh, uh, private land to hunt, but we ended up killing both of our antelope on state land. Huh. <laughs> it was just like how it worked out, you know, like give it, give it, give the old, uh, kudos to the on X, you know, like it's a, it's crazy that the tool that is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're going out Western hunting and you're not using Onyx, I mean, you're just, you're restricting yourself. Just the ability to know where public and private land is, is, is a total game changer. Yeah. That was the funny thing for us is the one that my, that uh, my partner Ramsey shot, we were like, it was right over the fence from this big chunk of private land. We had to hunt and we'd seen antelope on there the first day we were there. I was like, oh, so we looked at it like, oh, well, this is like state of the Wyoming land. So we're good over here. And sure enough, three days later, he ends up shooting them, the antelope uh, on that piece of ground that was right over the fence from the private land. Like, oh, Very cool. So one thing we haven't really talked about is the fishing line of, uh, of Shields Outfitters clothing. What do we have, uh, have all in that lineup? Well, now, you know, similar to big game, we've, we're delivering like mostly like skin to shell and fishing. So we do lots of performance, uh, uh, outerwear, you know, rainwear has been a big component for us in the, in the Shields Outfitter line for, for like basically eternity. We've always done fishing rainwear. So we have a couple of uh, key pieces there. And then from there, now we're, now we've really got into sportswear. So sun protection at all different kinds of levels, both knits and, uh, wovens, and um, again, we're, we're delivering uh, products at retail price points that c- nobody can touch. Our, our performance for value is uh, untouchable in the market. You know, like our fishing shirts could easily retail uh, with a brand for between $75 and $100, and we're selling them for 50 or less. Very cool. It, it's really cool because, you know, like just the, you know, the, we got awesome feedback from our customers on the fishing shirts, both on fit and in function. And it's been, uh, it's been fun to watch that grow. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, that's the beauty of having a signature line is, you know, if someone reaches out to us in the store or on Facebook or Instagram, like that comment can have an impact and it can change the way that we make our products. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it does, you know, like in the fishing shirts, we get, we get a lot of uh, great comments from our customers about how they fit and obviously I'm not a small human, so they're probably like on the larger side of the size scale. But, you know, we have also gotten feedback from the stores that, you know what, like the rest of the size run is probably a little bit too big. So like for next spring, we've regraded all the sizing on the fishing shirts 
for uh, next year. So everything from like XL and up is going to remain the same, and everything from XL and down has got completely regraded. And we spent a lot of time adjusting the fit on those so they they fit you know the you know medium large uh, a little bit better. So. It's not just the materialization. It's also like we put a lot of time and energy into the fit of these items too. Perfect. Well, that was a ton of great information. Um, I greatly appreciate your time and oh, uh, you know, diving into everything that makes up the big game collection and, and really how it came to be. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, like I said, like we never thought that it was going to be what it is today that honestly, it wasn't our intention just because frankly, it's a, it's a lot of extra work, but now that we've got it going, like we want to just keep, you know, feeding the beast, so to speak, and keep uh, changing things up and redeveloping them. And it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch it and to get all the positive feedback from our experts in the field and from our customers alike. Mm -hmm, for sure. Again, thank you for your time, Brandon. If, uh, if anyone has questions on this, feel free to reach out in the comments or on social media, on uh, Facebook or Instagram at Shields Outdoors. And um, with that, I guess we'll wrap this up. All right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.